This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. Quick update for the fourth quarter open enrollments coming up on this podcast, and then I'll get into some more in-depth about some things part of the Affordable Care Act that you need to be aware of. But uh, renewal dates are coming up for most small and mid-sized companies in the Chicagoland market or all over the country, in fact. And so the last time we recorded, we had all the October and November renewals getting wrapped up. We have now the December renewals, and we even have our open enrollments for December open enrollments already scheduled, uh, if not underway in some cases. And so January is supposed to be coming out within the next 30 days. And the only reason I'm pointing out these timeline and dates is so that employers that are listening to this uh, podcast, they're aware of when they actually get released because sometimes the brokers are so far behind schedule. And I get it, it's the busiest time of the year, but at least you could be a little bit more proactive with your broker. I'm not saying he, the current broker is incompetent or can't figure out their own schedule to get back to you. I'm just saying that the renewals are so busy during this time frame that uh, it's hard for brokers to actually mine through them all, shop the markets, and get a hold of their clients. And so you could be proactive and contact the agency uh, that you're working with and schedule an appointment. You could call our office for a second opinion and then get those open enrollment schedules. The worst thing for a small and mid-sized company is to scramble towards the end when you have limited options. It seems that's the status quo in a lot of cases. Brokers pitching clients into uh, thinking that they shop the market, they wait until the last second, doesn't give you enough time to actually shop real markets out there. And um, you just kind of go with the... Uh, the same plan with the 12 or 15% increase when you're paying a million dollars a year in premium, that's um, still a good size jump. So just give yourself some time to go through it all. Be prepared going into the next open enrollment. There are bigger increases going on. Step away from the status quo, at least look at some other opportunities. And if you need any assistance with that, let us know. We'll be happy to help. So one topic I want to talk about, part of the Affordable Care Act, is this thing called the medical loss ratio. And the reason I'm bringing it up is um, some activities going on right now that may be confusing for employers or, or individuals and families that purchase their own insurance indirectly of the employee base because the employees don't receive anything from the insurance companies or correspondence that goes back to the employer level. It's just the way it's designed. So this medical loss ratio was put into the Affordable Care Act, and the main reason behind it is they were trying to crack the whip on the insurance companies, thinking that this whole mantra or status that the insurance companies have or this perception is that they're ranking in all this premium and they're just cash cows. And there's some truth to that. That I, I I wouldn't argue it, but but the intent of the Affordable Care Act with the medical loss ratio is to basically tell the insurance company exactly how to operate their money cash flow wise. I don't think it's ever a good a good idea uh, for the government to come in and dictate how your cash flow should be. But it's here, and there's nothing we can do. But obviously, these big dogs out there, these insurance companies, had figured out a way around it. And I'm going to walk you through that just so you're aware of it. It is concerning. There's not a whole lot we could do as far as from a um, government standpoint or the insurance company. But there are logistics or other measures that we could put in place as employees or individuals or families or employers to actually try to get ahead of the trend, uh, kind of beat them at their own game, kind of, but at least uh, 
some weapons in your uh, war chest uh, that go after it and save some money. The medical loss ratio told the insurance companies they had to operate into an 80-20 window or an 85-15. And so 80% or 85% had to be allotted for claims. And so they have to essentially escrow the money into a claims account and be um, set aside for the claims and actually utilize for those for whatever contract period that they haven't set. I, I don't have the details on specifics specifics of those contracts, but if they had an overage of the 80%, meaning that they didn't use it, they saved more than they should have, then there's a rebate or a refund back to the employer or a um, refund back to the individuals or families that are purchasing their own private insurance. 80-20 was for individual family policies and small groups, and then 85-15 were for larger employers. Again, a lot of these insurance companies had higher profit margins. So the lower number, 20% and 15%, was set for operational costs, profits, um, and the Affordable Care Act killed a bunch of jobs and insurance companies. They laid off thousands and thousands of employees because they used to operate closer to a 60-40 margin. And the government felt that 40% was profit, and it's not. It had loyal employees working for the company. And research and development, if you want to call it that, and I'm summarizing with that, and, and product designs and uh, how they were going to handle claims and processes going forward. And so I'm not defending the insurance companies. I'm just saying that uh, they operate a different window, but there was more to it than just profits. Uh, even though they make made a lot of money. They actually make more money now in a lot of cases, even though the government restrictions there, um, they're making more. And so the intent was the obviously to keep the cost controls and give it back to the policyholders for charging them. In recent feedback from my current clients that the average individual that's paying for their own health insurance, just an individual, not family, based on a premium, probably on average $600 to $800 a month. So you're talking about under eight grand a year maybe nine grand a year, they were overcharged by 15 bucks a month with a major carrier. So 15 bucks a month. So you're talking about $180 a year when you're spending 10 grand is not a whole lot over what they should have been charging you. Family uh, premiums that range from 1500 to 2500 a month. So you're talking about almost 30 grand a year. The average refund that we've been seeing back to the family is uh, about 50 bucks a month. So you spend twenty five to $30,000 and get a $600 check back. I don't think they're doing a horrible job. Yeah, sure, it's money that they overcharged and you should get it back. That's still a chunk of change no matter which way you look at it. The issue is they implemented a program that cost more than what the actual payback back to the policyholders. And so they're overspending on the process, uh, not necessarily with the refund coming back to the policyholders. So it had good intentions. They expected more out of it. Um, they expected that these refunds would be thousands and thousands of dollars a year per individual or family, and it's just simply not the case. And so that was the intent. To give you a, a little background, so most of the major carriers operate on the exchange or the, in the small group market. Um, these are major branded carriers that most people are aware of and recognize their name at a moment's notice. Many of them are publicly traded in some fashion. Um, some are not, uh, but uh, they're big enough and they probably could be. Uh, they're stakeholders uh, or shareholders. And so there's definitely some responsibility back to the stakeholders or shareholder. And so they have to operate and figure out ways to make, keep making more money. 
they have to make more profits, which means in order for them to make more money, they have to collect more. And so in order for them to collect more, they have to write more checks because everything's based on risk management. In order to pay more checks out the claims, they have to increase the premiums, which increase the percentage that they are allowed to actually move into the, their own pockets. Back to the 80-20 and the 85-15. So if I wanted to, if I needed to make more money of the 20%, I have to increase what's coming in in order to keep the 20%. And so in order to do that, they have to spend more to increase that ratio to justify that there's an increase in your premiums. And so there's a financial disincentive to audit any claims that actually occur. Uh, in fact, it's easier for them just to go ahead and pay the claim without any audit process, due process, or uh, due diligence to actually figure out if the claim is should be there or not, or if it's overcharged. Some of these claims that are coming in, even during COVID, a simple testing that or um, procedure, they're adding, padding more th- to the bill and it's getting paid. This is definitely a concern because it's going to be coming out of our pocket at the end of the day, and we actually don't have any control directly related to those policies. Whether you're a small employer or even large, you're still on these platforms and you haven't looked at any other options. We have to be concerned that these premiums are going to keep going up no matter what we try to do because they want to pay the claims, they increase the premiums so that they can keep more of their 20%. So now the insurance companies really have financial incentive to increase the premiums and spend the money. Writing this out as notes for the podcast actually reminded me a lot of the way the government handles their taxes. In order for them to increase the taxes that are coming out of our hard-earned paychecks, they have to spend more in order to do it. It's just a financial disincentive to get anywhere. And so same with the insurance companies. And the other unfortunate part about the whole supply chain, if you want to call it that, is providers know this too. They know the insurance companies are looking to spend the money so they can increase the premiums. The providers really don't care how much those premiums are as long as they're getting paid. They're going to find more and more reasons to actually add to the bill or increase their cost when they're getting paid for services. And it's happening. It's been happening for years, but it's escalated big time since the Affordable Care Act because they know those and they're looking for more ways to spend the insurance companies to spend more money but the providers are looking to collect more and so they're finding different ways to itemize a bill or add to procedures that are already there or find some other unnecessarily testing that may be related Uh, and they've been doing this for years but it seems like there's definitely an increase in the last um, five to ten years but just think about it for 10 minutes that you're in the office they're billing their insurance company 200 to 300 dollars for that 10 minute slot yeah, their time is worth something, right? But what is that worth, right? And so uh, even if you said 15 minutes, 250 bucks times that by four, you're looking at a thousand bucks an hour. Who in the world is worth a thousand bucks an hour? I don't know. And I'm not saying he's not, or and they have staff, but it just comes down to what are you getting in value for that? But the insurance doesn't care. They're going to pay the claim as long as it seems legitimate and um, it passes through their soft audit system. And a lot of times these insurance companies put thresholds as long as the codes seem to match up in some fashion based on the soft audit uh, automated. Uh, it goes through if it's as long as it's under like twenty five or 50000 depending on the insurance company and what they set it at. So who's really your advocate? You're, you're the only one. So I'm going to walk you through some things that you could start working on now. We're going to start out with individual plans and we're going to move into... Uh, what employers should be doing and head to start heading in the direction. These things should be implemented right away 
but things take time, especially for the larger employers. Some of the ideas that are put in here it might be, might have to be phased in, but we got to put a timeline, put it in the calendar, and have expectations and deadlines. So for individuals and families, we need to learn how the plan works. I, I, I say this all the time, that families are spending $30,000 a year and they don't know how, how their health insurance works. Uh, and I'm telling you, if you bought a house that was worth 300000 you would know every door and every window and every opportunity or a little sneaking spot of hiding things from your kids or whatever it might be. You would find every piece or every room in the house um, and exactly what it brings and offers to you. If you bought a $30,000 car, you would know every single button on that car, what it does and how it works uh, because you're spending the money. But we spend $30,000 on health insurance and we don't spend and invest the time to actually learn how it works. And it's unfortunate because now we're stuck in the situation where we feel the most vulnerable, but we don't even know what plan of action to take because we never took the time to actually learn what it's doing. One is at claim time, there's this thing called the explanation of benefits. You need to learn how to read the explanation of benefits. Some of them call the EOBs for short. It's not difficult. I'm sure it can be challenging initially. It's about what's being serviced, what dates it was on, what discount was being applied, how it was accounted for at the insurance company, if it was applied to a deductible or copay, and any balance potentially could be due. These need to be matched up to all the invoices because providers will somehow invoice you for a different amount than what's actually available to or what's on the explanation of benefits. So if you're not tracking this, you could really overpay, overpay claims by accident. Call them out when claims aren't right. Sure, there's some time invested and is it really worth it? But we have to start taking measures and putting uh, taking action. Otherwise, this will go on forever and it's just going to get worse. And so if you do your little part by challenging the billing office and it could be a mistake we i personally had one where we kept getting billed for 1500 bucks and i i didn't have time to deal with it it didn't match the explanation of benefits i was going to call and a couple months later when they kept sending invoices i finally got around to calling them and they looked at it and i guess something red flagged in their computer they put me on hold for like 15 minutes they come back and they said actually there was a mistake don't worry about it we're reconciling with the insurance company and they gave me a reference number for the call they gave me their contact information if we needed to call back and i never saw another bill it actually did go to zero and so yes they kept invoicing me because that's what the automated billing system did but because i called they realized there was a problem uh, that uh, if I didn't call, they would have been invoicing me in, um, until they sent it to collections. But what if I just paid that? Sure, it was 1500 bucks. That's not um, easy money to send out for anybody. Uh, but what if it was 150 bucks? right? It would have been super easy just to write the bill and make it go away. But here I called and the bill went away because there was some other issue and they were still waiting for information from the insurance company or some, whatever it might be. But we can't just pay the bill because the invoice shows up. We need to control some of the spending and claims. Just because the doctor says, hey, go do this or go da do that doesn't mean that you should. It's like a mechanic saying, hey, we need to go clean your carburetor. Well, if you don't know that you don't have a carburetor anymore, you're just going to pay them to clean your carburetor. And so you have to challenge the system a little bit because what if it's not related to you or what if there's other measures? Um, and I'm not saying at all as a disclaimer, just don't do what the doctor says. I'm just saying ask enough questions so you know what's going on and you feel comfortable about making that decision. There will be cases where you just tell the doctor, yeah, no thanks, I'm not doing it. And that's fine, but ask enough questions to make sure 
And again, just because they went to school for a hundred years and they got a $6,000, $600,000 medical tuition bill that they still have to pay, doesn't mean that they're going to give the right answers every single time. They're human just like us and they have good intentions. There's a lot of great doctors out there. If anything, just ask enough questions to understand the process better. Still proceed with whatever the recommendation is, but understand what you're getting into because it's your health, it's your money at the end of the day. You're paying into an insurance pool that is help paying for those claims, and it's just going to jeopardize the insurance pool over time if uh, you don't do your part. If you own a business, Elite Benefits of America wants to remind you that health insurance open enrollments are either happening now or coming very quickly. And this is the time to review and implement a health care plan to make or keep you as the employer of choice. Deadlines for open enrollment range between November 1st and January 1st. Get ahead of the curve. The Small Business Special Enrollment Period, part of the Affordable Care Act, now allows employers with 49 employees and under to offer health benefits without contributing a dime to the employee plan. Help your employees save money on taxes with health insurance they're already paying for with their hard-earned dollars. Butch Zemar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit EliteBenefits.net or call 708-535-3006. For prescription drugs, um, challenge them too. Uh, I'm not saying to come off the meds. Again, the disclaimer, listen to your doctor, but ask enough questions. Some stuff could be easily removed between over-the-counter medications, diet, exercise. But again, I'm not giving health advice. I'm just saying that if you take other actions, it might change the, the way the claims are being processed or needed to be processed. But even sometimes where doctors will prescribe for the things that you can easily get over the counter at reduced cost. And one example is like Advil or Tylenol. Um, and so your doctor may prescribe a higher dosage, but you just may have to, that's within a safe margin, take a little bit more of what was on the back of the bottle and just have them write the note for it. Maybe it's something you already have and you don't need to spend the money. And so you have to ask the questions in order to make sure that you're getting uh, sound advice um, that you're comfortable with and understand. We can't just uh, blind sheep go into things and listen to the doctor and say, okay, I'm going to take this medication because that's what my doctor says. Well, over time, we I actually personally had a family member that they were on so many medications that they were taking medications to counter the side effects or results of another medication. And so they were at like 20 something medications. Uh, and some of them were just because they were taking other medications. And so at some point you have to draw the line in the sand and ask yourself, is this really working or is it not? The biggest thing here is educate yourself on the process. The only way you're going to do that is get it, uh, get spend some time with it. Ask the questions when you're in the doctor's office, look things up online I'm not saying Google or search engines are the best place or Web, WebMD, but I'm just saying read the information with a grain of salt and, and take the information for what it's worth and make your own decision. Talk to family members, see what the best choice is for the family, uh, but you have to start taking a better, better step. Small employers, we could actually take a bigger front for our employees that are working for us to help them um, through the process. So take better notes when you're having meetings with your broker. Ask them the questions. Maybe ask questions you never had. Don't take their word for it right away. Trust them. In the military, we had this thing called trust but verify. And so 
we just have to verify the information. Doesn't mean we're going to move brokers, doesn't mean we're going to change anything, but you need to verify the information in some fashion. Even if you have a long history with this broker and there's a great relationship and there's no reason to second guess them, start asking for more information to prove what's what's there. I'm not saying that that they're incompetent or they can't do what they're they're saying well, they're doing, but I'm just saying learn the process and understand it a little bit more. Um, and that's what they're there for. Make sure that uh, you're being offered the best options. Just because the mainstay carriers are the biggest names, a lot of brokers end up just sticking with them. It's easier for them. And some cases on the bigger uh, employer accounts, we get paid bonuses based on retention and other parameters and that are not disclosed anywhere. And so they have a financial incentive to make sure they don't move. And then it's a lot of work, especially if there's you know, hundreds of employees or thousands of employees. It's a lot of work for the broker and their team. But again, it's not about them. It's about the employer, the employees, what's the engagement and how are claims being processed and what's the outcome at the end of the year when the renewal comes in. To me, as a broker tip to you, carriers, insurance companies are just tools, right? I don't have actual wrenches or uh, hammers in my tool chest. Um, it, these are insurance products that come to the workplace. That's my toolbox. They're just tools. It doesn't really matter to me about which tool we use. We're just trying to use the right tool for the job. If the job, if you come to me and say, we need to shave some of these premiums without jeopardizing costs. Okay. I need to go on my, my, my war chest and figure out, okay, what's the best tool we're going to use to try to do this. Maybe there's none, but I have to put all these options inside my my uh, toolbox to make sure that I'm providing the right tool at the time that they need it. The next thing is you got to educate the employees. You could sponsor health programs. Uh, you could bring in outside people that are willing to win business and they'll bring lunch to the table um, to try to educate people on wellness and health and, uh, and whatnot. And then individual employees can make their own decisions if they want to sign up for their services. There's a chiropractic office that I'm personal friends with, and they love doing these lunch and learns where they bring a massage therapist out. They sponsor a lunch. They bring it in to get access to the employees. While they're doing the massages for the employees, they're educating them on their health and other products that are available outside of what they're doing. And so they gain business that way. They're getting free lunch, the employees. They can walk away if they choose to, but they're learning in the process at the same time, which I think is fantastic for the employees and it boosts morale. You could educate them on claims. It may not be you as the employer or HR, but bring somebody in that understands claims and go through a process. Maybe there's videos out there that you could purchase um, or your current broker could put together a video, a basic 101 uh, version of how to handle claims and educate your employees. It's super simple. It's not difficult. There are resources for this. Another way is build strategies for HRAs and HSAs. Our HRAs is reimbursement, health reimbursement, um, and then HSA is health savings accounts. I'm not going to get into the details here, but you could strategize these two products to actually reduce claims on your health plan, and it could pay off huge thousands, uh, tens of thousands of dollars per employee. And so... Uh, that is another avenue to look at. Definitely start learning about level funded and self-funded. There's a lot of insurance brokers that are afraid of these. Um, they talk against it. Again, it's a tool in the war chest. That's it. And so, yes, there would be employers out there that it's not a good fit for. Same with PEOs. We've talked to those on the, about those on the podcast. 
Their PEOs are a great tool for the one that fits, right? It's just part of the tool chest that we have to bring to the table as brokers to make sure that we're giving them, um, the employer, the right opportunities to do what they need. And so learn about level funded and self-funded programs. You may or may not qualify. Small employers may have difficulty, but they'll more likely get into a level funded plan. Um, we talked about those on other podcasts. Um, it's a great product. There's a little bit more risk, but you're taking risk every day. Your auto ins- uh, insurance and homeowners insurance has an element of risk that you're inheriting, whether you know it or not. Your commercial insurance, you have risk, a lot of more risk than in some of these in the um some cases. Commercial, you have risk. Your workers' comp, you definitely have a huge amount of risk. Uh, It's calculated risk, um, but it's put in place. And that's why even OSHA requirements uh, have come into play. Yeah, there's some risk that's involved and you have to comply, but they're actually there to help you too. And some insurance companies will give you discounts on those products, not health insurance, but discounts on some of those products if you're implementing the right programs. You could implement a claims audit service, um, especially you can't do that really. You could do it on fully insured um, programs. That's the mainstay carriers. But if you go to these level funded or self-funded, you could add into another benefit that's really beneficial about auditing services. We had ClaimDoc on here. There's a, They are an excellent source. Uh, there's many other competitors that do what they do. Claim Doc, just, um, they're local in the Midwest. That's why I brought them on. Um, and they're doing a great job and they're growing and they're providing local uh, employment to uh, the Iowa area. So I think that's just fantastic what they're doing. But there's many other programs, depending on where you're at, maybe a better service. You could build financial incentives in the health plan, especially on a level fund and self fund it. You can uh, negotiate rates with local facilities. Maybe this is already done through brokers or third-party administrators. And you can, if you direct your employees to certain places, it reduces or eliminates their out-of-pocket expenses, but it also lowers the claims being attacked on the insurance pool that uh, was created with a level-funded or self-funded program. Direct primary care, instead of going to the doctor and having insurance company pay all the time, then the employer could set up a program where they pay a stipend to a facility and the employees have to go to the facility and there's no charge in most cases. But it does not go cl- um, make a claim against the health insurance plan, so it reduces those costs. And um, year over year, you could save money. Some will actually build on-site medical clinics and provide doctors for you right there, especially for mid-sized to larger employers. And if any of your employees need any medical assistance, they could actually take a quick break that's scheduled and then go over to the medical clinic, take care of it while they're at work. They never have to leave. They don't take days off. They're higher, there's higher productivity out of it. And um, it's a lot easier for them. Again, I mentioned HRA and HSA. Those are definitely phenomenal ways to do it. Now, for mid-size and large employers, uh, there's um, uh, definitely good strategies here. There, uh, and if you're not exploring other options at this point, or and sticking with the main, mainstay carriers, the big branded carriers, some call them the Bucas, the um, Blue Cross. There used to be Unicare, um, Humana's, and Signals of the World. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them that people are completely familiar with. Yeah, you need to look at other options. There's really no excuse for a midsize or a large employer to not be in that space, to have a little bit more control of the cost, um, be able to move in the right direction, but be strategic and um, plan accordingly. Um, and if you haven't been down this road, uh, you need to start looking at it. You're already behind the eight ball. And so 
You need to start learning about the process. You need to get out of fixed rate programs, even though they're composite and blended. But, uh, but I'm telling you, the insurance company is hiding behind a curtain and they're not disclosing all the information to you that you need to know. And you can't make educated decisions. Just to be frank with some of the CFOs out there and then the employers that are looking at your P&L statement and you're claiming that health insurance is the biggest expense and you can't control it, um, that's hogwash. You need to start stepping in because if there was any other line item on that expense sheet that you couldn't control, you would eliminate it or do something else with it. And health insurance is the only one that you kind of, I say, pucker up in a ball and just say, okay, um, we're done. We're just going to keep renewing it. You have to take a stance. You could keep the same broker, just challenge them. Um, and if you need my assistance, great, uh, or find another broker that's willing to work with you. Um, but you need to get out of the fixed rate market and move into, yes, there's variables. Yes, there's some risk involved, but everything's calculated and you need to be strategic about it. And so this isn't anything new. It's been going on since the uh, the beginning ages of insurance. Um, but if if there's a business owner that understands how business insurance, liability insurance gets put in place, then they're going to understand these other markets with related to health insurance. It's not that difficult, but it does take a, a little bit of effort to actually learn how the products work, how to control the cost, put in other incentives or programs to help control those expenses. But you need to start taking a little bit more of a stance. We can't just keep rolling over and 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 taking taking the beating. Even the insurance agent that goes bat the bat for you, and they take that eight percent increase and decrease it down to four percent. Did they really justify what they're doing by doing that? I mean, it may look like that on the surface, but if they're not bringing other value to the table, you're actually going to be in a lot of trouble over time. And so you need to start looking out for it. Uh, We're getting calls on a regular basis right now um, with these mid-sized companies because their current brokers are keeping them in the same spot. It's just easy. And uh, um, they do save the 4% on the renewal and they feel like they're getting ahead of the game. But if there was a way to actually... Save money in the first year, so take your 4%, eliminate it, and go negative. And then the second year, eliminate any PPO requirement or network requirement for your employees while the cost still keeps going backwards. And so if you're not even exploring those avenues, then um, then you need to start changing gears and start challenging the status quo. Some of the stuff that you'll implement is similar to what I already discussed on small um, or small employers just a moment ago where you get out of the fixed rate market, which some large employers are, um, uh, get out of there, go to the more level-funded, self-funded programs, implement strategies that help control those claims, control the employees and their actions, give them incentive to actually do the right things, um, and um, go to lower-cost facilities versus the most expensive. Like in Chicago, when you're not paying the bill, the first thing you want to do is go to the big university hospitals. They're the most expensive in town um, when you don't need to go there. And so if the employees actually know what's going on with the cost and why, give them purpose of why we're doing it, then they're going to follow suit because they value the employment that they're in and what you're providing to them. These programs also allow you to look at all these costs and then you can implement programs, kind of like a safety program with workers' comp. If you implement certain things, insurance companies actually give a discount. It's very similar, but indirect. So if we put certain programs in, you'll see a trend go backwards because there's less claims. So with it being the the biggest expense on the the profit and loss statement, you need to make make time to actually learn what's going on and start challenging. 
if your current broker is not doing it or they're presenting some options, but you're not sure if it's all of it, definitely get a second opinion. For sure, call our office. We'll be happy to do it. But otherwise, find another broker in the area that's a little more savvy. They're all over the internet too. Um, I align myself with other brokers all over the country that are doing these practices and they're doing a great job for these employers. Um, so there's many of them out there. Um, just get that second opinion, get that other quote, um, proposal, um, put things in place or look at options to start doing input timelines and start implementing these things. Um, you may actually, um, as long as you're honest and you don't want to waste the other broker's time for the second opinion, um, just be upfront with them. Tell them what's going on. You're loyal to your current broker. You're looking for another option. But at the same time, the broker is trying to gain and earn your trust for the new business. So be open-minded and allowing that to uh, the occur. I'm not saying give the new guy the, the business. I'm just saying don't blindside them by just getting the second quote just so you can stay with your current broker. That would be unfair to the, the broker that's trying to provide assistance we want that second um be the second guy in the door we want to or try to earn your business so i'm just saying give us the opportunity if there's a win there's a win and then we win the business other brokers out there are definitely um charging for proposals which is great because then you own the report and so there's nothing wrong with charging for proposals out there and or paying for a proposal um have a second opinion come in drop everything Pay the invoice. You own the report. If you decide to stay with the current broker, at least you know what's going on. It's your report. You paid for it, just like any other consultant that's out there. And these price ranges can be anywhere from $1,000 per proposal, and I've heard as much as $30,000 per proposal. The higher amount has more employees. They can afford it more. There's more revenue to help pay for and justify it. But of course, the savings needs to be there too. And so we can't promise the world, but the savings should be what three to four times the cost of it. So if you're paying $15,000 for that proposal, you should get at least $45,000 in savings. But I'm telling you, if you go through this process and you haven't been there before, those savings could be 10 times that amount. And so if you were doing $5,000, you should at least get 15,000, but you may actually save $100,000 on your health insurance premiums and your benefit program. These are things that definitely look for um, during the open enrollment. Some of the large employers are already done with January 1st renewals, and that's fine. Start looking at the 2023 renewals right now. Get a head start. For the mid-sized market, the small uh, markets for employers, right now is the time. You're, you could be, you're, you could be already behind the renewal process, but uh, just pick up the pieces and start running with it and start working with what you have and do the best you can for 2022 and then you can start working on the strategies for 2023.